chapter 16. I was sitting there at my desk today going, why does it seem like it's so long since I preached on Wednesday night? And of course, we had a, a fellowship uh, last week for the 4th of July. But if you were here the Wednesday before that, uh, you know or would remember that I had it in my heart to minister to us on the subject of dealing with pressure. Dealing with pressure. And uh, I didn't know that, th that there would be more, uh, but I do, I do have some more in my heart to share along that line. And so in John chapter 16, uh, let's bow our heads and ask the Lord to get involved with us tonight, and then we'll jump in. Father, we thank you for utterance, a free flow of utterance uh, out of my heart today towards the people. I yield myself wholly to you, Father. God, I thank you for that pastoral anointing. Uh, a pastor is a feeder. And God, we have a mandate from you, Lord Jesus. You said, feed my sheep. Well, God, I'm going to do my best to just give your word and the instruction found in your word. And I thank you for your anointing on me to deliver that uh, in an anointed way. But Father God, that's not the only thing there is. There is the hearer. And so, Lord, we pray for those in the seats tonight that, God, that their grace to do what they're to do, and that is to receive the engrafted word, which is able to save their soul, that it would renew their mind, that it would feed and nourish their spirit. And that, God, I thank you so much that uh, the people here tonight, they're not limited to what I know. They're not limited to what I say or don't say. But even while they've presented themselves tonight in your presence, that, Father, your Holy Spirit could talk to them and will talk to them individually tonight about something that they need, something about what I've said, uh, or enlighten them concerning what I've said. That, God, in the end, the people will really be fed and nourished, uh, given answers for their life. And we just so thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Uh, amen. Uh, have you dealt with pressure? Have you ever looked back on a moment and realized, you know, I didn't handle that very well? <laughs> Come on, anybody? I didn't handle that news very well. Uh, you know, you walked out and found the tire flat and had a lot going, and you were organized and ready to run for the day, and before the day got started, your plans got an obstacle to overcome you weren't expecting, right? And uh, you didn't respond real spiritual. Right? Or maybe somebody set you off at work, and love was not what came out of your mouth. <laughs> Listen, if you've not dealt with pressure, you're going to. Or I guess you're just going to live in a bubble. Live with the shades drawn, be crazy, lose your mind. <laughs> we don't want to do that. Right? But I, I just know that our church is made up of go-getters, kingdom builders, people on assignment. Uh, and uh, for those of us like that, uh, we're not just going to experience daily life pressures like everybody else, but we're going to encounter opposition on a whole different plane, aren't we? And But you know, friend, pressure should not be our undoing. Pressure should not be our undoing. There's really nothing that we will ever enter into or face where we don't have the divine ability 
to be the champion in that situation. How do I know that? Well, you, I'll quote something to you. It's 1 Corinthians um, 10, 13, I believe. Uh, and it says that there is no temptation, test, or trial that is common to man except that which is common to man. And that, that verse talks about how God would not allow you to be there. He will not permit you to be tempted, tested, uh, arrayed or assayed or attacked beyond your ability to endure. So if it is coming to your life, yes, God permitted it, but the reason He permitted that level of adversity to come into your life is because He knows you've got the stuff with Him. You've got the maturity, you've got the development, you've got what you need. To bear up under that pressure, not buckle, but have victory right in the midst of it. That's where I got the phrase that if you're in it, you can win it. If you're in it, win it. Because you wouldn't be in it if he didn't already see you winning it. He wouldn't have allowed you to be there. Isn't that good? Praise God. And uh, so pressure should not be undoing. What do, we, what do we think, guys? Find it yet? Maybe not? Okay, you have found it? Okay. Uh, but, you know, how many of you, I mean, you really have something in you that you want to finish your course. You really want to run the race God's assigned to your life and, and do something for God. Anybody in here like that? Boy, I know that's right. And that's me. Praise God. Well, <laughs> To get there, to get there, remember what Jesus said to His disciples one day? He said, a servant is not above his master. So we're not more privileged than the master. If Jesus, for did He have an assignment? Uh, yeah, He had an assignment. And did He, did he get there? Did He do it? He, he finished it. Was it all roses and cherries and whipped cream and ice cream? And No. Remember, Jesus found Himself at a place in prayer under such pressure that His pores opened up and drops of blood. He bled sweat. I mean, He bled out of His pores under the intensity of that pressure that Satan was bringing against his mind and emotions to try to keep him from going to the cross. Yeah. Where was Jesus praying? You remember that? In the Garden of Gethsemane. Anybody know anything about that landscape? Yeah, was, he had a habit of going to this place. There was an olive grove. You can go to Israel and these trees are still there. They're 2,000 year old trees. I saw them. Used to be that you could touch them, but the tourists were wearing the bark off the tree, so they fenced it off by the time I got there. But, the, but the, they say Jesus may have, could have, prayed right in the midst of this same tree. It's pretty awesome. And, uh, but um, anybody like olive oil? Anybody like that? You like olive oil? Yeah, a lot of us do. We like olive oil. What has to happen to an olive to get that precious oil. Yeah, I think we have a picture. I don't, I, I don't know. I gave them some last-minute notice to see if they could get it up. I, isn't that great? Isn't, isn't that wonderful? Ooh, you, some of us have jars like that. 
What had to happen? Let's go to the next slide, to that olive. Well, you remember, yeah, good. there's this process. I don't know if that's, is that the only picture of that? Or they have a, do they have a, yeah, look at that thing. So they're pouring those olives into that stone receptacle. And look at the massive tool that they're going to use. And they're doing it on purpose. To get the best, friend, to get the best, the olive oil represents the anointing. Oil represents the anointing. Hallelujah. To get the anointing out of the olive required a crushing. Hallelujah. Now I know that uh, I know that none of us are wine drinkers, right? But back then in that culture, of course, you know, they, they had another process there and they, they had vineyards and they grew grapes. And, uh, you know, maybe in that, do you see the, oh, isn't that wonderful? Isn't that look wonderful, that red wine there? Hope not, you're not going out for any, right? But what's got to happen? What's got to happen to that grape for the grape to accomplish its destiny? It's got to be pressed. Pressure is applied to the olive to get the best out of it. Pressure is applied to the grape to get what's most precious out of it. Now there's pressure that comes, it's of the devil. There's pressure that comes because we make stupid decisions, you know. There, there's pressures that come just by living down here in a fallen world. I, ta I taught you that, right? Yeah. But then there is a pressure that is divinely orchestrated, that is divinely allowed, that is a part of our Father's plan not to crush you with sickness. And this doesn't have anything to do with being sick. It doesn't have anything to do with you know, being oppressed or depressed. I'm not talking about that kind of pressure. I'm talking about the kind of pressure that, that we're going to deal with, the crushing that we're going to deal with, uh, with our flesh. Uh, oh, help me say this right, Father. Wigglesworth made this statement. I've died a thousand deaths and then I've died a thousand more to get to the place where I am, to have the anointing on my life I have. What does he mean? I, I've died a thousand deaths and I've died a thousand more. What's he mean? He's talking about dying to my thoughts, to my old ways, to my attitudes, to my dreams, to my ambitions, to my fleshly desires. I've wanted something and God said no. I've wanted to go, I wanted to put my feet up in a hammock and God said, I've got something for you to get to the next city. You know, I, I, I was beaten, I was jailed, I was shipwrecked, I was I was beaten with rods on the bottom of my feet. Not from God, not as God's plan, but to do what God told me to do. Paul said, I die daily. I die daily. What does he mean? He means I, my spirit man, I rise up and I cause my flesh, I, I say no to my flesh. I say no to my flesh. And the flesh rebels and the flesh hates it. You know, I, I sometimes tell Christians, because, uh, you know, the, the, modern, the modernistic church out there, huh, they, they, they have so manipulated the idea of what it means to be a Christian that, that the modern-day Christian, they can't take anything. If it's not cream puff and cotton candy 
and pat me on the back and let me wear my Hawaiian shirts and drink coffee in your service and promise me I don't ever have to work in your nursery, then we're not coming. We're not going to win the world with that kind of fluff attitude. We're not going to overcome demons and darkness and we're not going to carry any sort of power or anointing on our life with that kind of fluff, casual, light approach to Christianity. And you can't find that, that, that kind of Christianity in the Bible. You can't find it. Oh, hallelujah. And so, uh, Paul said, I die daily. Wigglesworth said, I've died a thousand deaths and I died a thousand more. That he's broken me and broken me down and broken me down until there's no more Wigglesworth left, only Jesus. Oh, we're having fun tonight, aren't we? See, there, I know, I'm not, it's not about bragging, this same thing's true for you. I know there is, there are divine things in me. There are supernatural things in me. There is bigness of ministry in me. There's, there's, there's terminal cancer cases. There's, maybe, I don't know, maybe the dead being raised. There's great and mighty, there are books in here. There are books in here that have yet to come out. There, there's a greater anointing that God would have me to come on, right? But am I willing to be the olive? Am I willing to be the grape? Am I willing to let God break my will? I've encountered this with the Lord. You know, I, I know it's... I know. I, I think I know how flippant and how silly this must sound to some of your ears. But I have fought my flesh for 10 years over such a simple instruction God gave me over a decade ago. Son, just a normal day with Father. Son, get up six days a week at 6 a.m. and spend time with me. Sleep in one day a week. I'll let you pick which one. And he knows that I'm a night owl more than I am a morning person. He put an assignment on me that is exactly contrary to the way he wired me in my fleshly nature. And you'd probably laugh or cry or say, that's pathetic. Watching me like a little baby, symbolically, having a temper tantrum on the floor with Father, kicking my arms and feet saying, I don't want to. Let me out of this. I can't do it. And that's such a struggle with it, it goes on for years. You do good and then you get it back into your natural flow. Until finally God says some years ago, He said, I just want you to know, just broken on me one day, I just want you to know, I put the pause button on your life in ministry. You're not going anywhere until you get this settled. How about you? What's God dealt with you about? What simple thing in your flesh has He asked you to take a nail and a hammer, and He's not going to do it. He's asking you, crucify your flesh. Put that down. Tell yourself no. Lose 20 pounds. Don't put that in your mouth anymore. Go to church on Wednesday nights, every Wednesday night, for the rest of your life. I'm just telling you, sometimes I wonder 
what God, some, I won't say y'all, but some, what God are some Christians serving? Because they don't show any inkling when I fellowship with them that God deals with them about this kind of thing. They're either just oblivious to it or they're just so numb to it. They've just said, la, la, la. If it ain't good and easy and all about blessing and fluff and, and me being healed and me being prospered and me and having a better marriage, then I'm not open to it. Well, that's fine. But the great, the juice that's on the inside of you is never going to come out. An olive's destiny, its highest destiny, is not to be eaten whole. It's to be poured out. Come on, in that, as oil. You can burn a lamp with it. You do, you do things with it that you can't do with as a whole olive. The highest, of course you could pop a grape in your mouth and eat it, people do. But the highest destiny on that grape, right, is to be crushed, to die to itself, to become something different. But it takes a crushing I don't have the reference here with me, but there's another scripture that uh, Jesus is called in, in the Gospels, the cornerstone, right? The cornerstone. So he's called a stone. And he said to him who falls upon the stone will be broken. But the one that doesn't, the one that refuses to take himself and throw him upon the stone of Jesus to be broken voluntarily, that same stone will in the end grind and crush that one to powder. That's, that's the choice that people have. You can cast your life upon the Lord and die to your own plan and your own desires and be broken and let Him put you, to, put you together the way He likes you and wants you to be. And it's painful. And there's pressure with it. This is why many are called and few are chosen. Amen. I'm helping you if you'll listen. But the one who says, no, I'm living life my way. I'm doing what I want to do. It's my life. Well, I don't know where you got that idea. You didn't create yourself. You didn't shape yourself. You didn't any of that. Who told you it's your life? Especially as a Christian. When you got saved, well, I thought salvation's free. Oh, who told you that? Salvation costs you everything. That's what I found out. That's why Jesus said, count the cost before you say yes to me. Count the cost before you say yes to me. You want to be my disciple? You really want to be my disciple? <laughs> well, just remember, the servant's not above his master. What they did to me, they're going to do to you. And how the Father's led me, He's going to lead you. It's like James and John's mama one day came to Jesus and said, Jesus, what? I want, you to keep my pro I want you to make me a promise that you'll do whatever I ask. Promise me. Well, I don't do that, much less Jesus. What is it? Well, you've got to tell me what it is. So He made her tell her, tell Him what she meant. What is it that you want me to promise you? I want you to promise me that when you come into your kingdom, into your glory, that my two sons, James and John, get to sit one on your right and one on your left in your kingdom. Promise me. <laughs> well, 
Don't you love Jesus' response? He said, first of all, first of all, are, and he turned to the boys, are you able to drink of the cup that I'm going to drink of? Because there's a reason I'm going to sit on that chair. Are you able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of? And you know what they said? They said, we can. We can. You know what Jesus said? You shall. Now, Jane, John got to live out his life on earth, but it wasn't easy. James was thrust through his gut with a sword for his faith and was glad to do it at that point, no doubt. Die martyr, along with all of his other brothers, disciples, apostles. But then he went on and told the mother and the boys, you shall, you're going to drink that cup that I drink of, but to sit on my right and on my left, is, that place is not mine to give. Meaning that's the father's decision, who gets to sit there. Amen? You didn't think you were going to get this kind of message tonight, did you? Praise God. It's good, I'm telling you. Hallelujah. Listen, God is not going to force us to face this kind of pressure. He invites us. He, he, he's told us, I'm the potter. You're the clay. You want to jump up on my table and go for a spin? It's up to you. It's up to you, right? But the only way, the only real way for me as a minister to accomplish the fullness of God's plan, I have to be will, I have to submit myself to the training. I have to gladly, willingly say, I'm delighted to get up at 6 a.m. But I need you to help me. You know he's glad to do it. What is it? What is it? You need to make a list. What is it God is dealing with you about? I have no idea. Well, you're not listening. If, if three or four things don't immediately come to mind, then you're dull of hearing. It's not that God is letting you off the hook. Because that would be, I would talk to him about that. I would say, hey, what's up with not dealing with Brother Marcus? Because I know you're dealing with me. This is not fair. And he would say, oh, I am, son. He ain't listening. Now I'm just using him as an analogy, you know what I mean? Are you with me? Praise God. Could you handle just a little bit more of this? Praise God. Uh, I didn't really realize I would go that vain, but it's good. It's good. Go to uh, 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter number 4. We never did read John, did we? You know what it says, right? You had it in your lap all that time. You, pray, you had enough time to read the whole chapter. No, John 16, 33 says, In the world, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have pressure. Nevertheless, be of good cheer. We got stirred up about that a couple of weeks ago, right? Be of good cheer. Why? 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 
Well, because I have overcome the world. Well, that's great for you, Jesus. No, he did it for us. Can you put the amplified version of that up there, Brother Paul? Of that verse, so good. Glory to God. Love this verse in the Amplified. Praise the Lord. Can you say praise the Lord? Hallelujah. Praise God. Uh, He said, uh, in the world you will have tribulation and trials and distress and frustration. But be of good cheer. Take courage. Be confident. Be certain. I like this. Be undaunted. Be undaunted. That ought to be our stance, our attitude. Now why? Because I've overcome the world. Uh, It goes on and talks about how that he's deprived all of these things. Verse, uh, I have deprived it, the trouble, the trial, the pressure, whatever it is. Jesus said, you should be undaunted in that. This is why pressure should not be our undoing. We should not be falling apart because we come into a season of pressure. Flipping out, backsliding. Pastor's got to fast and pray for you special three hours extra this week just to get you back off the brink of backsliding because you got under pressure. Hello? When Jesus says, I have deprived that thing that's causing you pressure of its power to harm you, and I have conquered it for you. And so what we're talking about Uh, the last Wednesday and now, is thinking right about pressure. Why do people fail under pressure? Why do they? Why do they faint? Why do they give up the faith? Why do they quit their marriage? Why do they have to get on medications? Why do they have anxiety attacks? Why are their bodies breaking down? Why are their minds breaking down? Why are these things happening? Because of what's going on in my life, Pastor Chris. No, no, no. No, it's not the thing. It's not the circumstance. People want to say, the reason I'm flipping out, the reason I hadn't been in church is I'm going through a lot. If you're going through a lot, you should be here. You should be here. I know people, it doesn't matter what's going on, they will ride a bus, they will hitchhike, they will crawl on their hands and knees, but they will not miss that doctor's appointment. But they won't come here. Because they're going through a lot. See, your your issue is, I know that's none of you, I'm talking to people on live stream again. (laughs) Hallelujah. They don't see this place as their place of victory. They don't see this place as their place of breakthrough. They don't see it as a place of nourishment and of refreshing and of answers and of healing and deliverance. If they did, they wouldn't let nothing, they would let nothing keep them from their refueling time, from their moment time. People people give up the word when they're under pressure. They just act like they threw their Bible away. You want to know why? They don't see the contents as their answer. And there's a whole lot wrong with that. There's a whole lot wrong anytime we find ourselves grasping for help outside of the Word. There's a whole lot wrong with that, friend. My wife's been talking some off and on about idolatry. 
She's been reading about it and, and noticing how often God talks about and warns His people about idolatry in the Old and New Testaments. What is an idol? Anything. Anything that's between you and Father. Anything that is first, anything that's ahead of Him, anything that draws your attention away from Him, your affections away from Him, your loyalty away from Him, is an idol. It's an abomination to the Lord. You ought not do it. You've got another God instead of Him. Some people, you got the doctor and then God. You got your credit card and your banker and your work ethic, and then you got God down here. Sports, hobbies, cell phones, distractions. It could be, it could be anything. But if God isn't sitting on the throne of your affections, then you're an idol worshiper. Ouch. Can I just stop for a second and recover? Ow, man. Ow. Wow. Bam. The fact that we're not Hindus worshiping colorful statues does not mean that we don't have all kinds of deities that we worship. And I, and I know we have, we have fleshly affections. Our, my flesh, my pastor's flesh, in the morning, would rather sleep than talk to the Creator. That's ugly, isn't it? But that's the truth. That's my flesh. If my flesh had its way, I'd prefer snoozing 30 more minutes than having that time with the Creator. That's my flesh. That's not me. That's not me because I'm my spirit, my heart longs for fellowship with the Father. But at the very same time, I have to crucify my flesh. But when we yield to the flesh constantly, given into the flesh, we're siding in and that thing that we're choosing over God is our idol. Parents, could your children be idols? Everything in life centers around that kid or that grandkid. The schedule, where we go, how we spend our money, what we do, everything is all invested in little Johnny. You're not helping little Johnny because you're teaching him things. You're teaching him things that are wrong. What do I do, Pastor? Don't get mad at me first. Don't shoot the messenger. It's like Paul so told the Galatians, he said, you know, the more I tell you the truth, the more I'm not loved by you. He said, am I your enemy because I tell you the truth? So don't shoot me, number one. Number two, just repent. God loves you. He loves me. Hallelujah. And join the... Gladly, smile, make yourself smile and enjoy the My Flesh Ain't Happy Club. <laughs> right? Yeah. Hallelujah. My friend Dr. Hadball, he's got a precious lady in his sanctuary and every time he says something hard out in the congregation, about 400 of them, you hear this, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> 
<laughs> right? Pastor said something's hard. Hallelujah. First Peter 4. Y'all okay? I know, man, I hurt myself. I know that was strong, praise God, but God wouldn't have let me say it if you couldn't take it. Hallelujah. 1 Peter 4, and I believe it's verse number uh, 12. What did he say? He said, think it not strange. He's telling us how to think about pressure. What did I title this subject? Thinking right. Thinking right about pressure. I'm sorry, I didn't finish my thought several minutes ago. Why do people fail under pressure? Why do they falter, faint, quit, all that? That happens because they think wrong about it. They think wrong about it. They think wrong about it. They think wrong in the midst of it. I've been there. I've been there. Where I have gotten under something heavy. And I thought wrong in it. I thought right about that kind of thing. But time under the pressure, I let that alter my thinking. It's so vitally important to our long-term victory that we think right when trouble comes. That we think right when pressure comes. When we think right about God laying something heavy on our flesh, when He points something out that He wants changed in our life. We've got to think right about it. What did this uh, seasoned man of God... You know, Peter was not uh, unfamiliar with rebuke. He was used to getting publicly corrected by the Lord. Right? He's beating his chest one moment saying, yeah, I got that revelation. He's the Christ. Three minutes later... The Lord turns to him right in the midst of the group and says, Get thee behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me. You're a stumbling block. Get away from me. I don't want to see your face right now, Peter. Ouch. I mean, he was used to being, but you gotta, you got to give this to Peter. He took it. He didn't run off with his pacifier like Linus and his little blankie and putting his thumb in the mouth like so many church people do. I ain't going back there to that church. I'm going to take my blanket and go back over here to the modern church. Well, they'll take you over there with open arms, but God, the, the Spirit, sees you like Linus. Oh, here come, here comes Linus. Come on in. Suck your thumb a while. Hallelujah. <laughs> okay, sorry. No, I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry. <laughs> Praise God. Let me read verse 12 from the Amplified. Peter said, so again, he's not, he's not unfamiliar with how God works. And he says, think it not strange. The fiery trial that is to try you. But we do it, don't we? Fire comes to test our faith. And we go, why is pastor, why is this happening to me? This never happens to anyone else, but God is picking on me. 
They passed me over for promotion at work. My husband said I was fat. I don't know. Whatever it is. And we, we get to thinking, how, how come me? Why, why? Why? Or how about this one? What have I done? Where have I failed? Because I know, because I'm blessed, that if I was doing this right, if I hadn't offended God, everything would be frills and cotton candy. We get in this self-accusation mode. When all God is doing is He's applying the fire of circumstance to refine your faith, to perfect your faith. He knows you're not going to be hurt by the fire if you just keep yourself between... You keep yourself between... You and the fire with your shield of faith. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He, you know, you feel that pressure and it's just, you know what, if you'll just let him squeeze you a little bit. Now again, don't you think with sickness, that's not what I'm talking no. about. No. Not, no, I'm talking about, I'm talking about he's going to put the squeeze on your flesh. He's going to put your squeeze on your attitude. He's going to put your squeeze on your unfaithfulness, on the things that are keeping that precious anointing that's on the inside of you from coming out. When that thing happens, hallelujah, let it, uh, Peter said in the Amplified, do not be amazed and bewildered at the fiery ordeal which is to take place to test your quality. As though some strange, unusual, alien thing to you and your position were befalling you. But insofar as you are sharing Christ's sufferings, right? What does He say to do? <laughs> How are you going to do that? Really, I'm serious. How are you going to do that? Are you going to do it because you feel like it? You ain't going to feel like it. But He said... When you realize that the fire has been applied to test your quality, to test your faith, instead of thinking it's strange, like some alien foreign thing happened to you that doesn't happen to anybody else, he said, rejoice. Well, you may just go, hallelujah. No, you're going to do it by faith. You're sure not going to do it by feelings. You're going to do it by faith. How many of you know, for Chris, for Chris, for Chris, and for Amber and my family too, because they're affected, God could have bought a, briar, a buyer for that home the first day we put it on the market. In fact, I've had others, I've had to use my faith to be happy with them because they put their house on the market. And they, what, how, how fast did yours go? Your home, not, it was months, right? But maybe it wasn't you. Somebody else I know. They put their house on the market, sold in a day. Huh? You, you didn't even put it on the market. You just, hey, would you like to buy it? Well, yeah, I'd like to buy it. And here. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Come on, have you know God's God? Could He have brought a buyer? 
and saved me. Eight months of having to lean on Him extra hard, extra intensely. Could He? Could He? Of course. But part of that time, he's, I'm, not, I'm not flowing in the full blessing because I ain't getting up at 6 in the morning. Hadn't been. Got that corrected. And I'm sad to say, how many times have I gotten before this church and kind of told this testimony and got that corrected? But y'all pray for me. <laughs> and it's not like he's been unmerciful. He's paid that bill every month every month and all the other stuff that has come up in the meantime and is leading us into more and hallelujah but the fire of that financial pressure has been applied to my faith and it's not the devil doing it not the devil doing it it's my father ha ha thank you father but listen, listen, I, I've kind of shifted over. This thing's getting kind of exciting. I could kind of get, I can kind of glean some fun out of this. This is kind of adventurous. I, you go back in my mind and say, yeah, look at how he paid it that month. And look at how he moved on that person to help me this month. And, and oh my God, look at how... We had nobody help us that month, and yet it still got paid. Uh, I he hasn't. I hadn't had to take. I haven't been ministering beer and coffee overnight at the convenience store. I haven't had to take on a second job. I thought about it, but he said, "No, no, no, no. I'll take care of you." See, he's been expanding my insides, expanding my measure of faith. Why? Because he's got to to use me to get us where he wants us to go, which is bigger. See, he's right. No, there's more faith in there, son. You got more faith in there, son. You think you got a rag wrung out good. It's like, yeah, hey, son, wring out that rag. Okay. And then you go up there. No, look. This is how you wring out the rag. I shouldn't hold it up after you get done with it and the thing go. Because there's more in there. Mom, there's more in you. Marilyn, there's more in you. Tamara, there's more in you. Dennis, there's more in you. Jim, come on. There's more in you. Cotton candy's not heavy enough to push it out. Is that right, son? That's right. It's going to take pressure. <laughs> when it happens, remember Peter. Think it not strange. Think it not strange. Amen? Let's go one more. You can handle one more verse. It's, it's close by. James 1. Go back to the left. James chapter 1. You know, if you read after these apostles, these men of God carefully, you will see they talk about this. They talk about this. Thinking right. Thinking right about hard times. Thinking right about stretch times. Thinking right. Everyone say, think right. See, if you'll think right, you'll believe right. 
And if you'll believe right, you'll talk right. And if you talk right, you might act right. And if you believe right, talk right, act right, guess what's going to happen? Things will be right. They will be right. But if we enter into times of pressure, from whatever cause, from whatever origination, and we think wrong, we're going to believe wrong. Then we're going to talk wrong. And we're going to behave wrong. And if we believe wrong, think wrong, think wrong, believe wrong, talk wrong, act wrong, what are we going to have in our life? Wrong. We're going to have the wrong in our body, the wrong in our marriage, the wrong in our family, the wrong in our spiritual life, the wrong everywhere. And it won't be God, it's because of our stinking thinking. Did you find James chapter 1? Oh, praise God. Verse number 2 from the Amplified. Chapter 1, sorry. James 1, chapter 2. <laughs> James chapter 1, verse 2. All right. <laughs> Hallelujah. What did this man of God say? In the Amplified, it says, Consider it wholly joyful. In other words, consider it complete joy. That's what the Cody translation might say. Consider it complete joy. When? What? When someone walks up to you and gives you $1,000. Well, yeah, that, I don't need James to tell me consider that joy. I got that one. He says, consider it wholly joyful, my brethren, when you are enveloped. When you are enveloped in or encounter trials of any sort or fall into various temptations. Next verse. Be assured and understand. What's he saying? Think right. Think right. Be assured and understand that the trial and the proving of your faith, what's it going to do? Everyone say, bring out. What's going to bring it out, Brother Jerry? Fluffy preaching? Trial. Stuff. Pressure. It's going to bring out something you need. Bring out something you need. It's going to bring out something you need. It's going to bring out something you need. But so many people, the moment they feel that pressure, they run. Where's my quiet place? Where's my safe place? Don't I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to deal with it. La, 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 la. And they never, they, never, they never put any muscles on their spiritual bones. And someone is always having to carry them in the Spirit. Or they won't make it. A pastor, a mentor, a prayer person, an intercessory person, they are going to fall, sure enough, backslide, drift off into sin, out of fellowship with God, if somebody doesn't spend hours on their knees every week. My God, I don't want... Pray for me, but not because of that. So he says, be assured, understand that the trial, the proving of your faith, brings out what? Your Bible may say patience, 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 
Woo, patience. When's the house going to sell? <laughs> Don't know, but I'm learning. If it goes another month, God will pay for it. If it goes three more months, God will pay for it. Praise God. Aren't you concerned about all that money you're spending? Month by month? Sure could spend that on something else. I know, I know, I know. Man, I know. God, I know. Do you know what? I, I don't think about it. Part of cruising my flesh in that area is just don't think about it. Just pay it. And rejoice that it got paid. It got paid. Hallelujah. It's not late. God paid. Just pay. Just yeah. pay. And let's go have ice cream. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> when will it end? Now I know God's working on it. People have to cooperate. Praise God. But it's faith and patience. The Bible says that inherits the promises, not just faith. And you may have faith. You may have a lot of faith. How's your patience? How's your patience? How's your endurance? Well, that's lacking. You want to know why? You run from pressure. If you'll think right about it, I'm trying to close. If you think, what did he say? Be assured and understand. Doesn't that have to do with your thinking? Be assured and understand that the proving of your faith brings out endurance and steadfastness and patience. Next verse. But let, see it's up to me, let endurance and steadfastness and patience have full play. Let it. In other words, I know it's hot, sweetie. I know your mind feels things. I know your emotions feel stuff. Just, you're all right. It's like doing the plank. And you think you're going to die at about 30 seconds if you're not in good shape. You're going to think like you're going to die. But you, you sit out for a minute. You're going to go another 30 seconds. Oh, Lord. What's in? Just stay there. Just stay there. It hurts. You ain't going to die. That's what the Bible says about spanking your kids. Spank your kids. They won't die. That's what the Bible says. Literally, that's a quote. Spank them. They won't die. The libs will tell you they'll die. But they won't die. Because the Bible said so. They may say, Mommy, I'm going to die. They ain't going to die. Right? Amen, I'd like to see you after service. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I will never forget your face right there. <laughs> I'm trying to close. <laughs> Come on, what did the word say? He said, let it. It doesn't feel good. Let it. Let it. Let that pain go on a while. Not, I don't mean physical pain. I mean the pain of that pressure. Practice violating your emotions. Practice. <laughs> Stop that crying. Practice. 
Instead of cry, pray. I'm going to call my mama. Well, get yourself together first. Why don't you pray in the Holy Ghost a while? Mama can't help you. You're supposed to help mama. Is that right? I need that verse back up there. I go spank somebody. <laughs> Let's finish. Let it have its full play and what? Let it do. What is the it? The trial. The circumstance. The pressure. Let it do. Right? Don't cook the lasagna halfway through and it's still cold in the middle. That's gross. I don't want to eat it. Cook it through. Keep it in there. Let that pressure do a thorough work in you. What will the end result be? That you may be people perfectly and fully developed with no defects. We've got a lot of defected Christians. They're defected. They're defected. They're defective in their conduct of faith because they have some faith, but they have no endurance because they don't like pressure and they think wrong about pressure. But you'll never know the sweetness of, not, of, of having your own testimony instead of having to tell about everybody else's testimony all the time. Everybody wants a testimony. Nobody wants a test. Everybody wants a victory. Nobody wants a giant. Everybody wants a victory. Nobody wants a battle. <laughs> the end result be, you'll lack nothing. But there's only one way to get to where I'm perfectly and fully developed. I'm a mature believer. I don't have any defects. I lack nothing. Because I can take the pressure. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Come on, stand to your feet and give Him some praise tonight. Give Him some praise. Come on, come on, give Him some praise. Hallelujah.